Welcome church. This is our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, tonight we're going to actually just go through uh, different gospel questions, different things dealing with the cross. Uh, I'm going to sort of lead the discussion and ask questions to John English and he's going to give us all the great answers and we may have some follow-up questions uh, throughout it. Um, and so we're just thankful you're here to listen. And then after this at 7 o'clock, we'll have a um, Zoom meeting for the youth. So be on the lookout for that too. Um, so John, uh, we actually, uh, when we start interviewing members, we normally ask them a question. I'd like to sort of give us a broad overview first. Uh, could you explain the gospel in 60 seconds? Right, so the gospel is that our triune God, uh, one God, it exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made the world and everything in it. He made man and woman in the garden, both in his image, made them upright and perfect and sinless. Uh, but they did not stay that way. They rebelled. They plunged the world into sin and darkness and under the curse of God. And, and God in his kindness and the fullness of time sent his son, born of a woman, born of a virgin, uh, who was fully God and fully man, two natures in one person. He lived a perfect life, he fulfilled all of the law of God, and he died in the place of sinners. And on the third day he was raised from the dead, and he has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and at the fullness of time he will return to judge the living and the dead. So that's one way to summarize the gospel in 60 seconds. Yeah, I thought, I thought a good passage for this, you can look at, Paul actually does a brief summary himself in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. And then he, and he summarizes the gospel like this. For I delivered it to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So he's, he explains the gospel in a very simplified manner, but uh, all, are, all are really good. Um, so let's get in some uh, different implications of the gospel. Um, why did Jesus have to die? So if we can sort of zoom in on a couple of different things. Why did Jesus have to die? Well, a short answer we could say is that um, he chose to. And then once he chose to, he then had to. And, and I'll explain what I mean. Um, God, before the foundation of the world, decided that there would be a bride set apart for his son. That the church, that his people would be set apart and would be saved, would be redeemed. And the son agreed to come and redeem that bride from her sin and from her bondage to slavery um, and so the son having agreed to come and take on that plan of redemption that's also called the covenant of redemption in theological terms uh, having agreed to that he then had to come and fulfill the terms of that he had to uphold his end of his agreement and so he then came to take the place of his bride and die in her place we could also say that Jesus had to die to maintain God's holy standard. Right? If God 
uh, was to bring his people back to himself. He couldn't just look over sin. He couldn't turn a blind eye. He couldn't just gloss over it or just wave a magic wand and say, Oh, it's gone. I forget it now. It's gone. No, that would be unjust of God, right? That's, that's not what a good judge, what a holy and righteous judge would do. No, he has to punish wickedness and evil. And in order for him to be reunited with his people, that wickedness that they had that they had done and the punishment that they had earned had to be taken care of, had to be appeased, had to be satisfied. And Christ did that on the cross. And by doing so, he has allowed a sinful people to be reunited with a holy God and allowing his, main, his justice to be maintained and his standard to be fixed. Yeah, I think, uh, I think of Romans 5 when I of what you just said therefore as one as one trespass led to condemnation for all men Adam's trespass so one act of righteousness leads to justification for all men for as by one the man's disobedience the many were made sinners so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous so we look to Christ and his righteousness not just not just on the cross but throughout his entire life there was a perfect righteousness that was kept for us yeah so um what happened if you're if you're thinking so that's why jesus had to die but what happened when he died when he actually died well theologians will break down the work of christ on the cross or really his life leading up to it but including the cross uh, into different categories and we can speak of them in different orders, but I'll just start uh, with one category of being expiation. And so what does it mean to say Christ expiated our sin? Well, it means that he removed the guilt from us. And we can think about that from Isaiah 53, right? Surely he has borne our griefs and our sorrows upon him was the iniquity of us all. The iniquity, the guilt that we had taken was pulled from us and placed on him on the cross, thereby expiating us on the cross. It's an old word, but it's very important. A second word is propitiation. That one's actually uh, in our English translations. Propitiation uh, is related to expiation. It's kind of the other side of the coin, and it means um, the absorption or the appeasement of God's wrath towards sin. Christ has taken the full weight of divine wrath from us, and he has taken it into himself. And we see that also in Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. John talks about that in 1 John chapter 2 and also in chapter 4. He is our propitiation set forth for our sins. So expiation, propitiation, also reconciliation. So because of sin, we were estranged from God. We were separated. We could not be brought back together. But because of the work of Christ on the cross, we can be reconciled to God. We can be brought back together. Romans 5 verse 10 talks about this. We were enemies of God, but now we have been brought back together. Indeed, not merely brought back together. We have been brought into the same household because of God's reconciliation in Christ. So expiation propitiation, reconciliation, satisfaction is another aspect of the atonement. And that refers not merely to being happy, but to the payment of a debt. So we owed something to God, and we could not pay that back, and Christ has paid it for us. So in the 
Greek world, when you finish paying off a debt, you'd get something like a receipt, a debt record, and it would say tetelestai across the top. It is finished. The debt is paid in full. And that's what Christ has done for us. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says, You who are dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, you've been made to alive together with him, having been forgiven of your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood between us with all of its legal demands. And so Christ has brought satisfaction for our debts. So expiation, propitiation, reconciliation, satisfaction, substitution is another aspect of the atonement. Christ was the substitute that died in our place. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. 1 Peter chapter 2, Christ himself bore our sins in his body on our behalf. Jesus says even likewise at the Last Supper, this is my body which is broken for you. Next we talk about redemption. And redemption refers to buying something back, usually out of slavery. Buying something that had been taken away and was captive. And that's what God has done for us. It's really what the whole story of the Exodus and the Passover is about. All of those Old Testament imageries that show up on the cross as well. Jesus, because of his work, uh, ransomed us from our futile ways, 1 Peter chapter 1. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. He's the ransom price that we might be redeemed. And lastly, Christus Victor, or the victory of Christ. Christ being the triumphant warrior who has brought back his people. So, Colossians chapter 2, it says that God has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. Christ has defeated and subdued his cosmic foes. The war is over, even though these little battles still engage each day, the final victory has been won because Christ is our Christus victor, our victorious anointed one. So expiation, propitiation, satisfaction, reconciliation, substitution, redemption, and victory in Christ. Those are different aspects, different ways to look at the beautiful diamond that is the cross. Would you say that forgiveness ties into a lot of things? Forgiveness ties into several things. So there was a just anger from God because we sinned against him, and that anger can be forgiven not because he waves his wand, but because... Christ has absorbed that anger in our place. There's forgiveness of a debt. We owed something to God, and God has forgiven that debt because it's been paid by another, by Christ. And so we can look at each of those aspects and tie it to forgiveness. That's good. So why did why did Christ have to die on a cross and instead of some other way, like a beheading? or um, why, why was it a cross that he had to die on? Well, it's fitting because of what's what's being pictured there. And, and also because of several themes we see in Scripture. So the cross, the crucifixion, was really the most brutal way to kill somebody at the time. Um, it, it, it would, their death would linger over many hours, sometimes even longer. Um, and it would be an excruciatingly painful episode that they could stretch out even further. And that's a fitting death given what Christ is doing on the cross. So if Christ is bearing the full weight of sin, right? First John 2 
He is the propitiation not only for our sins, but for the whole world. So he's bearing the weight of the guilt of sin of the whole world in that moment. It would not be just for him to be bearing all of that weight of evil wickedness and guilt and for him to quietly die in his sleep one night. No, he's bearing the ugliness of all of the wickedness and, and injustices, all of the evils, all of the abuses, all of that is being born on the cross. And so it's fitting giving what he's doing, bearing the propitiation of sin. But it's fitting also because of some of the trajectories, the themes we see in Scripture. Right, The first Adam disobeyed God and brought estrangement between humanity and God through a tree, through his disobedience, taking the fruit from a tree that didn't belong to him. The second Adam brings reconciliation to God through a tree, through what he's done on, on the cross. The first Adam brought the curse on humanity because of a tree, his disobedience from a tree. The second Adam bore that curse and then because he bore the curse on the tree, on the cross, uh, we can have blessing through him. The first Adam brought condemnation, brought un unpleasantness, brought all sorts of uh, curse and, and, and the fall. And the, the fall upon the whole world. The second Adam brings redemption through his cross. Uh, likewise, the first Adam banished all of humanity from life with God in the garden. But the second Adam, because of his death on the tree, fulfilling the obligations that the first Adam failed to do, brings his people back to the tree of life in union with God. We see pictured in Revelation 22, and the tree of life is opened up, and the people of God are with God there in his presence for all of eternity. So there's all sorts of biblical theological themes, these, these little shadows and pictures in the Old Testament that come to fruition in the ministry and work of Christ, and will ultimately find their fulfillment in the new heavens and the new earth yeah that's good uh, i also think about first peter chapter 2 when thinking about the cross it says this for to this you have been called because christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps he committed no sin neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled he did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but now return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls so when we think about the cross what does the cross have to do with our life today and every day and particularly really during this season uh, we have a it seems like the world is going through turmoil. There's a pandemic going on. How should we, as Christians, think about the cross every day? And and particularly, I, I think about First um, Corinthians one eighteen. It says, "For by the power of the cross, you are being saved." Um, for the, the the people who are Christians, truly Christians, we are being saved through the power of the cross and Christ who died on the cross. So, how do we think about it today? Yeah, so when we see the fullness of Christ's work on the cross, we realize that there's nothing left for me to earn to make God accept me. Because Christ's work is complete, because the record of debt has been canceled, because he's done, he's fulfilled every aspect of the law, 
I am brought in merely by faith. I merely receive the gift of salvation that's found in Jesus Christ. I don't have to perform my way up to a level that God will then like me. I don't have to build up and do all of my good works such that God will then accept me. No, I'm accepted because of the faithfulness of Christ. And I have to remember that because when I stumble in this life, and I will, when any of us stumble, we're going to start to think that, well, God doesn't, I, I can't come back to God. God doesn't like me. Maybe I've fallen out of favor with him. Maybe he's mad at me. Maybe, And we start to listen to the lies of Satan that say, no, God's not your father anymore. Well, the first thing that Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer is we pray, our Father yeah. who is in heaven. What father is going to kick his son out of the house because he stumbled? Now, a father will always be family with his son, and we, having come to Christ by faith, have nothing left to earn, and we merely receive the good blessings. Uh, secondly, and re related to kind of what we're going through in the moment with all this virus around the world, if, if Christ has truly borne the curse on the cross... Right? If I'm a believer, I'm trusting in Him, and He has borne the curse for my sin, then when I go through hard times, I know that it's not because God is pouring His wrath out on me. The wrath has been poured out on the cross. God may be working in my life, leading me through tough times, leading me through the valley of the shadow of death. Indeed, He will take us all. If He tarries, He will take us all through the grave before we get to him. Mm. But he's not doing that because his um, the, the bow of his wrath is pointed at us, to use Jonathan Edwards' language. It's not because he hates us and he's still aligned against us. No, he's, he's our loving father and is working for our good, even through the tough times. So when I'm struggling and I'm suffering or I'm going through this physical affliction or I'm going through this tough time, I don't have to wonder, does God really love me? Mm. He loves you. And that's demonstrated because of the cross. That's where he bore the wrath for you. That's where the, he sent his son to die in your place. So what you're going through now is not some angry God that's flying off the handle and is punishing you for something you did last week. No, he has forgiven you. The curse is gone. And anything you're going through now is merely him shaving away the remaining sin, the indwelling sin that's within us and sanding us down and smoothing us and making more into making us more into the image of his son every day that's good yeah so i even think about uh i think it's um, matthew 15 maybe mark 15 uh where he talks about picking up our cross mm -hmm. and following him uh, th there's a picture of self-denial there like denying oneself so how should we how should we rightly think about that verse in light of uh, COVID, in light of serving our neighbors, in light of this current moment, do you think? What's denying well, ourselves right now? That's a great question, and it would be perhaps applied very practically in different ways, given our different context. Um, I think what we want to have is a heart-level disposition such that we are our instinct is to think of others before ourselves. So it doesn't mean we're being reckless and we're screaming out and going out into the hospitals where there's all sorts of sick people around and unnecessarily endangering ourselves. Um, there may be particular people called to that, um, but do I have a disposition, a heart level impulse? Is my first impulse to help others before myself? Am I willing to, and that, that may look like 
uh, a whole host of things. If I'm if I'm a young child, is my is my default impulse to let the other people in the room pick the toys they want to play with first, or do I just scream in there and grab the one that I want and grab it quick and hold it tight so that no one else can take it from me? If I'm a husband or a wife at home, uh, am I the one taking the initiative to serve my spouse? Am I the one that's getting up? And, and just without being asked, clearing the table or washing the dishes or taking out the trash or whatever it is, there's a hundred different ways it could be expressed. Or is my default impulse to uh, sit there and sit back and let someone else go do the work? Um, there, I mean, we, we could apply it in all sorts of different ways. If, if you're, um, are you taking the initiative, thinking of others first, loving our neighbor as ourselves, to uh, reach out to those around you that might be in need, they might have physical needs, they need medicine or food, or they might have emotional, spiritual needs. Have you, they may, may need conversation, they may need companionship during this time. So how are we reaching out to these different people? Is my, uh, am I willing to take up my cross? That is, am I willing to um, die to my desires so that others might be brought life through them? Hmm. So am I willing to take on death so that others might be willing might be able to uh, have a have life and have it abundantly just as Christ has done for us yeah that's great I think a great way to close today would be to pray for our congregation would you uh, be willing to pray for our congregation absolutely awesome Father in heaven we um, we praise you and thank you for this season in the life of the church where we particularly pause to think about the work of Christ on behalf of his people. And Lord, I pray that uh, as the cross confronts us with the gruesome um, awfulness and bloodiness of death, and as our world right now is confronting us with the gruesome awfulness of death, that we would remember that Christ did not um, shy away, that he was willing to lean in and to take upon himself all of the wickedness and evilness, uh, all of the evil that his people had earned and, and was willing to die so that they might be redeemed from their bondage, from their slavery to sin. Let us rejoice in that hope. Let us be willing to do like Christ and to pick up our cross and to serve in, in whatever way that you and your providence allow us to. Help us to be willing to to lead out, to take the initiative, to serve others ahead of ourselves, to to be like Christ is described in Philippians 2, to lay aside um, our preferences and our pride and all of our things so that we can serve uh, our family, our friends, our neighbors in ways that will um, ultimately, re hope, hopefully, result in uh, more coming to Christ. But um, in all things, we pray that you would be glorified and that they would see our good works and glorify you, Father in heaven. Amen. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.